Would you please stand with me for the reading of the gospel? This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, Those around him with the twelve asked him about these parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. Let me begin with prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. (coughs) About 70 years ago, around the Dead Sea in Israel, they discovered a cave. And this cave had some clay jars in it. And in those clay jars, they found scrolls and little fragments of vellum. Eventually, they would find 12 caves in total, like this one, that had scrolls and fragments of scrolls that were either written in Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic. And I love the contents of these scrolls. It's fascinating. When you read these, you can reconstruct some aspect of early Judaism. Every time I read them, I learn more and more, especially there are actually some biblical commentaries in these, and so I'm really enjoying the ones on the minor prophets. But this wasn't always the case for me. When I was a kid, my parents took me to San Francisco, which was about 40 minutes from our house where we lived, and they wanted to take me to go see the Dead Sea Scrolls which were at this museum in San Francisco. It was kind of a a roaming tour for the Dead Sea Scrolls. And as we walked up these museum steps, my little heart got so excited. And we passed through these giant pillars, and we passed through the ticket booth, and we got into this large, dark room that was illumined. And on the walls were these models of old, tattered scrolls. And after five minutes or so of just walking around and reading these boring signs, I got really confused, and I asked my parents, 
where are the squirrels? <laughs> and, you know, a little confused, my parents says, what do you mean by where are the squirrels? And I said, well, I thought we were here to see some dead sea squirrels. Where are they? And sadly, that day, there were no squirrels. My parents wasted a lot of money going to a museum with me, and we had to leave early and drive back home in shame. <laughs> All there was was these old parchment pieces behind glass. There was this golden opportunity that was completely wasted on me at that age. My enthusiasm was so high, and then it just dissipated so quickly as my expectations for what I was going to see completely shattered. My parents had done everything right. They told me what we were going to see. They told me where we were going to go. But because I had a childlike, imaginative expectation about what I was going to see, I wasn't prepared to comprehend the gravity or the significance of these objects I was beholding or the discovery that had been made. The soil of my heart was not prepared to grapple with this. And sometimes it takes time for our hearts to be ready to perceive the significance of what's before our eyes. The parable of the soils that we read this evening presents reasons, reasons for why hearts aren't ready to receive Jesus's message about God's kingdom. The four different types of soil illustrate various reactions that the crowds are going to have to the things that Jesus is saying. Someone goes out and they sow seed. Some's going to land on a walking path, and birds are going to fly in and eat the seed. And then some is going to fall on rocky, shallow soil. It's going to sprout up, but because it lacks any significant root system, it quickly withers away when it gets hit by the glaring sun. A third type of soil receives seed. It grows up, but then it gets choked by weeds. It's only that fourth soil that receives the seed, and then it bears fruit. We can look at this from the perspective of the soil. And if we do that, it's an encouragement for us to be good soil, to have our hearts be good soil for the seed of God's kingdom. And that's a good way to think about this parable. I could have preached that sermon. But this evening, we're going to look at being in the place of the sower. Because as I've prayed about this passage and I've had conversations with many of you, I think right now some of our questions are more around how to sow than how to till. And so those who are called to sow, you and I, we are given seed. Uh, and, and we're called to sow with it because it's always more enjoyable for us to have fruit than it is to have seeds. And so what this parable teaches us is that we're supposed to sow constantly and let God bring the occasional growth. Last week, if you were here, nine people from Incarnation were confirmed or received into Christ's church. And I appreciated hearing the bishop remind us about God's grace that's imparted in baptism through which we're made God's children by adoption and given the Holy Spirit. And that by the power of the Spirit manifested in gifts and fruit, we are enabled to be God's people for the sake of the world. If you think about that phrase, we are enabled to be God's people for the sake of the world. Our growth in Christ isn't for our own sake, it's for the sake of the world. In our kitchen right now, there's a small drawer, and that small drawer is filled with flour and vegetable seeds. And we can keep the seeds in that drawer. 
We could even take the seeds out and eat them if we wanted to, which would be odd and thoroughly unsatisfying. But if we take those seeds and come April, we, we plant them, then we're going to have flowers that grow to full maturity. And when those flowers grow to full maturity, bees and butterflies are going to come, hang out in our garden, and then they're going to pollinate things like our watermelon vines or our cucumber vines, and we're going to have fruit. If I take radish seeds and I plant those, a few weeks later, I'm going to have some killer organic radishes, and I'm going to make some delicious, fresh fish tacos (laughs) with organic, thinly sliced radishes which is far more satisfying than just eating radish seeds. Not all of the seeds have to sprout, right? Not all of them have to sprout. I only need a few of them to sprout, just some of them. And I have no idea which seeds are going to sprout, but if I never sow them, I'm never going to reap. And so I wonder what seeds of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus' kingdom, have been sown in us, and which ones have then taken root. Jesus, who took on flesh, became a man in a body, walked and lived in this relatively small geographic area in the Middle East, showing the world who God is. And if you've ever wanted to know what God's glory looks like, the writer to the the Hebrews says that it is Jesus himself. So look at Jesus. And in his love for the human race, Jesus died and he rose again in a body. And All of what it means to be human, God has redeemed so that humanity could be united to the divine life that's found in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So it's not just for spiritual laws. It's not not for spiritual laws. It's more than for spiritual laws. It's a mystery that is to be adored, not an idea to be explained. And that mystery speaks redemption and it speaks wholeness into how we use this body, the station of our life, whether we're married, single, or widowed. It speaks into what we believe about the purpose of our vocation, about how we love our neighbors and about how we parent and the ways that we build a worshiping community, the church. And as we adore the mystery of Jesus' death and resurrection, And we grow in that. And that begins to penetrate and permeate the fabric of our lives. Those are the seeds of the good news of God's kingdom. It's always more enjoyable to have fruit than it is to have seeds. And so we need to constantly sow the seed so that God can bring occasional growth. As Jesus spread the good news of God's kingdom, there were different groups, there were different individuals, different responses that people would have. These are illustrated by the soils. That would be true for the disciples once Jesus has ascended, and it's true for us. So do we talk about the healing that Jesus has done for us? Do we talk about the ways that the Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us and encouraging our hearts? What does it mean to be a child of a good heavenly father? Is that something that we talk about? Those are the seeds of the kingdom. And I was, I was thinking about this passage. There are a few reasons, I think, that we can find sowing so difficult. It can be easy to be preoccupied with the quality of the soil before we actually decide to sow. If we would just make a habit of sowing and sharing and inviting, 
we might see fruit where we didn't actually plant or didn't mean to plant. There was only really one or two times where I can think of that the soil actually felt ready. There was one time where we were going into D.C. for a concert, so we took a lift, and our driver was really chatty. He was wonderful. And as he was talking to us, I didn't have my collar on uh, that night, and he asked us what we do. And sometimes if I'm not wearing my collar, then I tell people, and this is true of me, it's, it's not a lie, but I, I tell them that, you know, I'm, I'm a late antiqu- scholar of late antiquities specializing in the Middle East before the rise of Islam. And that's true. So, <laughs> um, so our driver, who was a Muslim, uh, he wanted to know more about Saudi Arabia in the 5th century, which is something I love to talk about. <laughs> And, and so he was telling me eventually that, you know, he really doesn't understand all the differences between these religions, like Islam or Christianity, Judaism or Zoroastrianism. I was impressed that he'd heard of Zoroastrianism. And eventually the fact that I was a priest did come up in the conversation. And he said, can you tell me why Christians think that Jesus needed to die on the cross? It's just like softball. <laughs> So I had 90 seconds to tell him about the mystery of the crucifixion and the resurrection and God's love for humanity. The soil felt ready. I honestly have no idea how it went because I did my card on me and I did my best with 90 seconds and I did my best. I wish I could tell you a great conversion story, but I can't. I was just trying to be faithful to sow. And realistically, that doesn't happen that often to us. Maybe some of us more than others, but Most likely, we're keeping regular rhythms of prayer, and we're trying to be faithful in our family and in our rhythms of work and in this community. And as we establish those rhythms and we're interacting with people, we're going to have natural parts of conversation that come up where we get to sow. And we should actually let those be natural points of conversation. And so let there be invitation. Invite them to things. And if they don't come, that's okay. Stay friends. People aren't projects. Our job is to sow. It's not to look for the perfect soil. The other reason we can find sowing difficult is because we can't see how people's stories affect the soil of their hearts. In many ways, you who are parents probably understand this best because you sow and you sow and you sow constantly, using moments in your kids' lives to teach them valuable lessons You know, Johnny, that is why you don't put your hand on the stove. Sally, that's why we don't put bubble gum in our sister's hair. Jimmy, that's why we look both ways before crossing the street. Morgan, I know your sister's about to lose her tooth, but don't pretend she's a dog so you can pull it out with a dog chew toy. Just don't do that. Whatever the lesson is for that day, uh, you are sewing constantly. You can't fixate on the stimuli that's outside of your child, right? If you do that, it's going to be crazy. There's too much to focus on. There are too many ideologies and pressures outside that if they were to give up to them, it would be harmful. So instead of fixating on all the things outside, what you do is you sow seeds of virtue over and over and over. And not all of those seeds are going to grow, but some of them are. And you trust God with the fruit, or you're working on trusting God with the fruit, as the case may be. So we can't fixate on outside temptations. We can't look at all the things that are assailing individuals and try and clear those away. There are systemic problems in culture, and we, we can advocate 
against some of those, whether they're addictions or other things. There are problems for which there are systemic issues in the culture that we can advocate against. But in our individual relationships, we can't fixate on those outside things. We can't uh, think about clearing all the birds away, getting rid of all the vines before we sow. Just look for opportunities to sow, not for the vines to be clear. In January, we're going to try something new. We're going to be running an eight-week dinner and dialogue uh, weekly discussion group using what's called the Alpha Course, and we're going to be doing that over at the theater on the run. And I'm excited about this, and I'm excited to give people who aren't yet Christians an opportunity to be loved and cared for well by the people of this community in a space where they can share their honest thoughts and concerns in a non-threatening, inclusive environment. I'm excited to hear what neighbors think about God and about the Bible and about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And some of you might wonder what an evening at the Alpha Course looks like. The average night's going to have several elements. We're going to eat together, and then we're going to watch a presentation on a topic from a Christian perspective. And then we're going to break into small groups in order to discuss the talk in groups of, you know, maybe eight to ten people. There's no pressure in the groups to adopt the Christian perspective. It is a genuine invitation to interreligious dialogue and talks on faith. So one of the hopes that I have is that our friends and neighbors who come walk away from those eight weeks experiencing a church that loves South Arlington and a church that listens well, seeing neighbors as people, and again, not projects. But I'm totally aware that for our neighbors to come, we have to invite them. And so first, could we begin to do a few things? Could we begin to, or continue to, as the case may be, form good, healthy relationships with your coworkers, with your neighbors? Think about them strategically and often. And could we also begin praying for them by name? And then look for opportunities to share different ways that God's been working in your heart and life in ways that are winsome and kind and charitable. And third, could we invite them to things? Whether it's a men's event, whether it's a women's event, whether it's Sunday night, whether it's this dinner and dialogue uh, that's happening at the theater on the run. So we're called to sow by the power of the Holy Spirit who enables us to be God's people for the sake of the world. Let's be sowers of God's kingdom, a kingdom of restorative healing and wholeness. Let's be ministers of the good news of the, the mystery of the crucifixion and the resurrection to this world which longs for hope. Every time we come to the altar in the Eucharist, we enter God's throne room of grace. And in the final prayer after communion, you've heard it Several times, uh, if you've been here any length of time, we pray, and now, Father, send us out to do the work that you've given us to do, to love and to serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. Imagine if being a living member of the body of Christ and an heir to the eternal kingdom, a kingdom where healing happens, is, is so palatable that people start to ask you, what does it mean to be an heir to such a kingdom? To be in a place where I am so deeply loved 
and I can feel the love of my creator. It's always more enjoyable to have fruit than to have seed. So we need to constantly sow. And we can let God bring the occasional growth. As I close us in prayer, one of the prayers that I would love to just pray over us is from a fourth century church father that I love and I've talked about often, but St. Ephraim. And um, this comes from the Armenian tradition of St. Ephraim. I'll read it in English, but I would love to just pray this over us. Wipe away, O Lord, the multitude of our sins. Drain away the bitter dregs of our transgressions. Saturate our hearts with the watering of your Holy Spirit and fill our thorn-bearing flesh with your grace. Adorn it and transform it so that it may bear fruit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.